I do. I'm, I'm glad to see you. I'm, uh, I will forever love a midweek service, always. Um, and the reason I will is because I was discipled on a Wednesday night over the years at the church I grew up in. Uh, not just me, but our group, we were, we were discipled uh, over the years when I was in high school and college. Uh, a midweek service that we drove to about 30 to 40 minutes away held me together, to be quite honest. And, um, and so I, I love when we give God the opportunity to get in the middle of our stuff in the week. And so uh, it's, it's good that we're all here tonight uh, to gather together and we'll continue our sermon series called Signatures. We talk about the names of God found in the scripture. And uh, last week, if you were not here with us last week, then the first name that we discussed was a foundational name. We'll come back and discuss more foundational names, a couple more in the, uh, the months to come. But the one we looked at last week was the name Jehovah. And for if you were not here for review, Jehovah or Yahweh means to be. And when Moses asked God, who should I tell the people of Israel is sending me to them? God replied, I am who I am, which was not a way to deceive Moses or have him figure it out. But I am who I am or, or meaning to be means that God is the self-existent one. And not only is he a self-existent one, he exists within himself, he is also the self-sufficient one, meaning that he exists within himself and he needs nothing from his creation to exist or to sustain himself. But it was out of his love that God created us. And while God has truly no need for us or to anything to get from us, he loves us. That is the truth of the scripture. And we need to remember that uh, all the time, that God loves us. He doesn't have to, but out of his holiness, that's what he does. And because we are the su supreme object of God's creation, we were created to give God glory with our lives. And it just so happens, and we mention this almost every week, but it just so happens that not only did God create us to live for a time, but he made for us a way to live forever in his presence through his son, Jesus. And we often say this, but we exist for God's glory, and it just so happens that God's glory works for our good. So maybe many of you are thinking if it took you like two minutes to do last week's message, could you not do that again and keep it shorter and cover more? Um, no, I actually can't. So uh, tonight we're, we're going we're gonna to build on the name of Jehovah. And for a few Wednesday nights, we're going to build off of this foundational name and look to see what is called the compound names of God, the compound names of God. And, and this is when God ties his name to another name to reveal something even deeper about him. And again, all of this goes towards our relationship with him. Maybe it, it freshens up how we pray to him. Uh, maybe it changes the way when we sing about Jehovah or we hear a song uh, with Jehovah in it. We now know that God sustains himself. He exists within himself. It's the covenant name. That's another part that we're going to look at, that Jehovah is the covenant promised name of God to his people. And that matters, and we'll talk about that later. But we're going to look at these compound names, and compound names make a difference too. So, for example, if I told you last night I heard an owl, right? I heard an owl last night, then what did I hear? That was really good. That's Dwayne. No, it was Scott. Do you want to come up here and do no, All right. Bad, Very good. <laughs> Didn't know that you could do that. Uh, did everybody hear? No. Okay. So if you, if you, but if, when I say I heard an owl, then you automatically think of like what the cartoon characters all do. But what if I told you I heard a barn owl or a screech owl? That is very different. If you have ever heard a barn owl or what we always called a screech owl growing up, it will freak you out. 
Like you will think somebody is like in the dire straits in the middle of the night if you hear one of those and it's pitch black outside. So you see how a compound name can actually give more meaning and more understanding to what you're dealing with. And it's the same for God. There's a foundational name, and then there's a descriptive connection that just gives us more to understand about God. And we're all right with that, right? So before we introduce this first descriptive name as a connection to the base, I've learned that God often reveals his names or the compound names relative to opportunities for him to show himself strong and how he takes care of his people. When God took care of his people in the scripture, he would often get, do so by, by inserting a, a compound name so that his people knew exactly who he is and who, so that we know who he is as a source of help. And to support that truth in Genesis chapter 22, we're going to look at the faith and testing of Abraham. So I'm going to pray for us once more, and we're going to jump right into a passage that we could preach on a, a sermon series for months and we're going to go quickly through this to try to get to the name of God that is before us tonight, all right? Lord, I thank you once again for the opportunity to take a break from everything that is going on this week. Lord, the list of responsibilities, the circumstances, the cares of our heart, Lord, we are in the sanctuary. So, Lord, I just pray that that's where we would be. I pray, Lord, that we would be fully engaged in your word tonight. And God, that your spirit would speak to us and make truth plain so that we can Apply it to our life and glorify you when we leave. Lord, I pray for our children's ministry. I pray for our student ministry tonight, Lord, as they are uh, doing the same thing. God, as they are lifting your name up, as they are teaching your word. And God, that you would shape our church from the top to the bottom uh, to glorify you, Lord, to represent the things that you care about. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, if you'll read with me, the Bible says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, that's important. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah and go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. If this is your first time reading this, so I don't assume that everybody their whole life has heard this 10 to 12 times. If this is your first time reading this, you already are thinking what you should, which is this is undoubtedly an impossible task. Like that's the way it should read. That's the way we should feel and get the full drama of what God Almighty, who is love and holy, has just told his son or just told Abraham to do with his son. Take your only son, whom you love so much, go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I will show you. But the scripture goes on to say, as we look at this as an impossible task, the Bible goes on to say the next morning Abraham got up. Some, some authors, pastors would say he probably didn't even sleep. But he got up early in the morning, he chopped wood for the fire, he set out for the place that God had instructed he journeyed three days. Can you imagine journeying three days with this on your mind? That God has, has instructed you to do this, and for the next three days, you're going to travel with this on your heart, on your mind. And then he took his son, who oftentimes when we read the Scripture, we may think that it's, it's a baby boy, or we may think that it's a young child, or you've seen the pictures and different things like that. But actually, at this time, he would have been a young man, probably a teenager at this time. 
And they get there, and they finally arrive, and they arrange the altar, and they arrange the wood. And Abraham even got so far as to tie Isaac down on the altar. And, and there's always this picture that I remember growing up in the back of one of those Bibles that had pictures along with stories. And there was this, this rag, raggedy-edged knife. Everybody's like, I remember they all, we all had the same Bible. Good. So like he was like this, and like scares you to death. And again, that's the drama that is is built into this because it is exactly that. And Abraham has the knife raised. So we're going to come back to what God does after that. But you cannot move too quick through all of this because if you read this just at the base level, even if you've read it 25 times in the last year, you're going to come away with some questions. How could Abraham do this? How could Isaac let him do it? Like, I thought to myself, I have a 12-year-old, and he argues with us about a lot of things. So can you imagine a teenager being like, we're going to tie you down, and you're going to become the burnt sacrifice till God provides something else? So, you know. I mean, all, all kinds of questions come into your mind. Uh, and, of course, about God. How, why would God call him to such a thing? Right? That's, that's a very simple question that you know comes to everybody's mind when you read it. And you, we have to take a, a, a stop at this because Abraham and Sarah were chosen by God to begin the lineage of Jesus. They were at the very beginning. And through the line of Abraham, a Savior would be born that would be the culmination of blessing to the world. Jesus would, would be the promised Messiah that would free us from our greatest problem, which is our sin. And it all began, if you look at Matthew and if you look at the, the lineage of Jesus, it begins there with Abraham as God made a promise to Abraham, and he promised that through Abraham there would be blessing to the world. But, but listen, Abraham and Sarah, when God said, We're, you're going to have many descendants, they waited for 90 years, plus years, Abraham, 90 plus years. And now that they finally have a son, God is going to ask Abraham to sacrifice him. Now, we don't have time to get in tonight while Sarah was not in on this. <laughs> but it's funny. It's, not, it's funny now that everything's okay. But it's funny to think about it. Like, he didn't even bother to tell her because who knows what could have happened. Right? I mean, like, didn't even tell her it's Abraham, Abraham and Isaac. And they've waited this long. Finally, God is delivered upon his promise of a son. And it seems at this point that God is just not making sense. All the things he's promised, now he's delivered, now he's going to ask him to kill him. Maybe God has a divided mind. So all the things that you were thinking, that God is unchanging, and God is love, and God is always faithful, all these things come into question when this scenario or situation is presented. Or we're left to question his character, like he, does, he doesn't always keep his promises, if, if this is the case, or how could God be kind? And even if, if, if Abraham goes through with this, which in full of faith he promised to do or pledged to do, his life, his family, his calling, all of these things post-sacrifice would have surely been affected. First of all, he loses his son, who they had prayed for, desired for. They lose their son. And then he would sever a relationship with his wife because of obedience. Think about all of those knots to untie that he would have to work through. Not to mention that he could be found guilty of murder. He has been asked by God or directed by God to kill another man. So when you take all that into account, it's, it's like when I hear the music playing before I speak, I'm like, what is happening? Now, what really? You get to this place of like, what is happening? So here's what's happening. 
Biblically, this is a trial that is a test of his faith. Maybe it's dramatic, grand scheme, but we're glad we have it now. But this is a trial and a test of his faith. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, you can write that down, go look it up later. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, God said through Moses, Remember how the Lord your God led you, speaking to the people of Israel, led you through the wilderness for 40 years. And here's why, the Bible says, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. This is a test of God to the people of God. This is a test of God to the patriarch of God to see what kind of character he has. For his people are to reflect his glory. And when trials are a test, and we're going to talk about it, I don't believe that all trials are a test. But when trials are a test, our character is either proved unwavering or wavering. If we waver, we fail. If it's unwavering, we pass. And when we go through a trial that is a test, make no mistake, we have an opportunity to reflect the glory of God by being faithful throughout so that people see something that does not make sense. Or we have the opportunity to waver, and even through that, God brings up what you thought you had, but you don't, and now you need to be stronger in it. A lot of us know here that if we've been through a storm recently, that we were probably praying more, studying more, singing more, being more sensitive, more aware to God's spirit more because we were going through that trial. If it was a temptation, God would just take us down, take us out. But because it's a trial meant to test, God is sharpening us. So what bubbles up as, hey, you didn't have this right like you thought you did, is now an opportunity to get it right for future growth. But here's the cool thing about God. Whether we waver or we don't, God is faithful regardless. I love preaching and teaching that. I love saying it out loud. It makes me feel better, just to be quite honest, that that whether we are faithful or unfaithful, God is always faithful, is what the Scripture says. Regardless, the faithfulness of God is not dependent upon us. Remember, he does not need our faithfulness to sustain his faithfulness. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah, self-sufficient. But when we are tested, it is an opportunity for our faithfulness to attest to his provision, for our faithfulness to glorify a, a, a God whom we cannot see but we fully trust in for who he is. Now, again, as I said, not all trials are deliberate tests of faith. However, all trials reveal our faith, all of them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says, for an, for an unwavering faith, these trials will show that your faith is genuine, that the way that you handle it actually shows people that when you bow your head and you close your eyes and you say, dear Lord, you mean it. You trust that God is your provider. You trust that Jesus has died for your sins. And though you cannot understand all of what's going on now, God's promises are always kept into and throughout eternity. And if it reveals otherwise, the Lord will use the trial to point out a blind spot. Again, if it reveals we are wavering, God will use the trial to point out a blind spot or a weakness so that you may approach God in the next trial with more faith. 
I'll just tell you again, like, I, I just when I stand before you, and this is the same way with other teachers and preachers, the more you get to know a church, as you look out on the faces, sometimes you are seeing people that just had celebrations, and sometimes you're seeing people and you know the heartache that they sit in tonight and they listen to you talk about it. And it's tough. And I'll just tell you recently in my own life, what I hoped would be the kind of faith that you see in the book of Daniel, that even if God doesn't, right, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if he doesn't, we still going to just be as faithful as we can. And I'll just be honest with you. I, to the things that I've been through recently, which is a fraction compared to what many of you have gone through, I discovered within my own faith that God's like, you preach it hard, you've got a long ways to go. You've got a lot to learn. Easy preaching, hard living type stuff. I needed encouragement. I needed confession and forsaking. I, I, all of these things. So God showed me through, through a, a time of trial, whether in some cases where I was wavering and some cases where I was unwavering. But I know that while I'm here and before I go on home to be with the Lord, I'm going to have another trial at some point and another opportunity to give him glory in terrible circumstances. God is trustworthy. And remember why we are here. We are here to glorify God. And we cannot glorify God without faith. The Bible says it's impossible to please Him. It's impossible to bring glory to God without faith. And the Bible also teaches that if we know that the Scripture teaches it's impossible to please God without faith, it's trials that give our faith an opportunity to grow. So through the trials, when our faith is able to grow, then we are built up even stronger. And through another trial, we're able to give God even more glory. When we experience difficult times to exercise our faith so that the people of God can bring glory to the one true God. What would it be like if the people of God that lived through this world that went through terrible circumstances just quit on God and renounced their faith and called upon other gods anytime there was times of trouble? But for us, knowing that God is faithful throughout eternity, it's a big witness when we're faithful when we're down. Take note of this word by a pastor. He said, life is a school, and we often don't know what the lesson was until we failed the examination. Now, don't tell that to your teenager or a kid that's in school right now. Like, just fail, it'll teach you. Let's don't do that, right? So before we get mad at God, though, I think we need to consider this. I read this this week as well. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us. God tests us to bring out the best in us. If I might add, the best in us glorifies him. And we would do well to remember our own trials and to know that in times of desperation are the times when we are closest to the Lord. So knowing that Abraham responded with faith, and if you've never read this through before, Abraham, as we said, has got his son tied to the altar and he has the knife raised as he is being obedient to God's instruction. How in the world, through this trial, from the time he was told, and then a few days later, to the place where he's at the altar with his son that they've waited years on, how in the world does he respond with such faith? What did we say last week? The best commentary on the Bible is what? The Bible. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, and men, I'm just telling you, this is going to challenge all of us to see the amazing faith of Abraham and the conclusion that he reached. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, even though God had told him, 
Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. So keep that in mind. He knows that God has promised descendants to him through Isaac. And then the Bible says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God would be able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So how did he get to that point where he was ready to be obedient to God's call to sacrifice his son? Abraham believed God to the point that if he took his son's life, God would make it right. God would still fulfill his promise by raising his dead son from the grave, demonstrating his power, and then to fulfill his promise. That's how firm a foundation he stood upon. But write this down. Abraham believed God past the point of earthly sense and to the point of eternal power. One more time. Abraham believed God past the point of earthly sense, which we are dealing with all the time, to the point of eternal power. He trusted God to give life, to take it, and raise it up again. And he'd experienced God so closely. Think about that. This is why we have to remember ourselves, and we have to remember our Lord. Abraham had experienced God so closely to the point that he believed God would be true to his word through his promise that his son, that even if he was killed, would deliver upon the promise that he made him by bringing him back to life. Why would Abraham arrive at this conclusion? Well, how many of you have ever seen a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman have a child together? See, that at least had to be part of it. At one point, Sarah was laughing at God. The angel of the Lord comes up and says, y'all going to have a baby? And she's like, no, we ain't. She's laughing. You read the scripture. It says she was laughing at that. Abraham's 100 years old. God gives life where there is none. God gives life where there shouldn't be any. And that's what God does. And Abraham trusted in that. He had witnessed his own miracle. He had not forgotten it. And that miracle was within the will of God. God promised it would happen, and it did. You see, this is also a reminder for us for our salvation tonight. God has promised us eternal life. So when we think back, sometimes when we don't feel like we're saved, or Satan gets a hold of us and tempts us with all other kinds of winds of teaching that blows in and blows out and all those things, God has promised us and he will deliver because he's faithful even if we're unfaithful. Thank God for that. So back to Genesis chapter 22. Back to Genesis chapter 22 now. And God stopped Abraham as he raised the knife. Thank the Lord, right? God stopped Abraham as he raised the knife. We're there in verse 12. He calls out to Abraham from heaven. And the scripture says in verse 12, an angel of God said to him, we're going to go back to that in a second, don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. And you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. All of us should probably have a shared experience, uh, shared conviction experience right then when we read that. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Because, man, we hold on to things, don't we? And from here, the scripture tells Abraham, uh, tells us that Abraham looked up and then he saw a ram that was caught by his horns in a thicket, and then the ram became the sacrifice, and God provided. Jehovah Jireh, God provided. Now, verse 14, Abraham named the place. Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. And to this day, people still use the name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So God provides, Abraham is faithful, 
And the story continues all the way to Jesus. Now here's some takeaways. Three takeaways and then we'll be done. First takeaway is this. God's name changed. I don't know if you noticed that. Chapter 22, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Now, if you look at verse 1, now look at verse 11. At that time, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Now, God, in chapter 22, verse 1, is Elohim. Elohim is the name for God, and we'll go back to this and study this name as well, but Elohim is the name of God for universal creator. This is the powerful God that's set apart from all others. He is above creation. But then in verse 11, it's not Elohim. Verse 11 is capital L-O-R-D. And what did we tell you last week? Whenever you read at all caps, Lord, what name is that? That's Yahweh. That is Jehovah. That is the covenant relational name for God. It was all-powerful God above creation in verse 1. When God stopped the knife and started talking to Abraham in verse 11, it's now the relational covenant promise, God. This is the covenant name, the personal name. This is not an uncaring, uninterested force that plays games with our lives, as some people think God to be. No, there's power and there's meaning in capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. He is the loving and involved father to trust. Remember, Jehovah indicates that he is a person. He is the great I am. And he is in a right and real relationship with those who are his. Abraham was justified by his faith. To indicate his personal involvement with Abraham, the Scripture tells us the name of our God who made it all make sense and who spared the life and the family of Abraham is Jehovah God. Personal God. The God that you call on when you pray. The God that you talk to about your family and your life and your cares and your worries. This is the God who is not just up there and you hope it makes its way to him. He is the involved God. It's his eminence. The God who became man through the person of Jesus Christ and involved himself to the place where he gave of himself up for us so that we might have eternal life. It's the God who bends down to listen when we pray, the Bible says. This is the personal God that we talk to, Jehovah. That's on purpose in the Scripture to remind us of what Jesus said to his disciples. What did Jesus say to his disciples at the end of when he gave them the Great Commission? I will be with you always. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Man, that is such a great reminder of us all, but think about what the disciples went through. Many of them being martyred, Jesus was with with them through all that into eternity. Second takeaway is this, and this is the longest one. God's provision was born out of obedience. God's provision was born out of obedience. Abraham had to have desired deliverance. Had to. Even even the most faithful. This is just me talking now from what I've thought through and worked through. Those three days that he walked to the land that God was showing him, Even as he trusted God as a father, you know he had to be going, Lord, I trust you, but please come on and deliver. Please make a way that I haven't thought of. Please show yourself strong in your faithfulness. He had to have had desired deliverance. He had to consider within that three-day journey the hope of God, that God would command something different or something better. But while he did not have that answer from God in those three days, watch this, he moved anyway. He moved anyway. Then I challenge me and you 
to the hilt tonight. The Scripture teaches this, and y'all, this is a really good place to take this note. Abraham trusted till God delivered, not God delivered and then Abraham trusted. It's probably good for all of us to take down, isn't it? Abraham trusted till God delivered, not God delivered and Abraham trusted. This is what it means to faithfully endure testing, is that you trust God until. Listen from a trusted author and theologian. He said, loving God means acting on what God says. It means putting into practice the instructions of the Lord, not for the end goal of getting, but for the reason of loving. Because you love God, because you understand who God is, and that God loves you and created you out of that love. And is this not what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15? If you love me, what? Obey me. If you love me, obey my commandments. And could it be that we, we find ourselves praying for God to provide, but we have no plans to obey? Truth is, sometimes we ask God to provide, he comes through, and we forget to even thank him. That happened today, by the way. We had a lady call, needed some help with a room, worked through back and forth. Absolutely, we got you a room. I looked back at the text because I was looking at this, and she didn't even say thank you. I don't even know why I'm sharing that with you. I think because it ticked me off a little. (laughs) But you can imagine how much we ask God, how much we ask God for help. God, would you please get us through, see us through, make a way, provide for us. And then it's a couple days later and we're like, oh, yeah, God, I totally forgot. I was enjoying the gift. I forgot to thank the giver. God's provision was born out of our obedience. When we, here's why I know I told you that because it's clicking now. The reason why I told you that and the reason why I connected to our prayers is because if we treat God that way, he's our fixer. He's not our father. That's two different things. How many times do we talk to the Lord as our fixer rather than our father? When we hold tightly to our lives and then we expect God to provide all the things that we want and all the things that we need, even though we are calling our own shots, that makes God our fixer. But when we trust him with our lives, and our trust is reflected throughout our lives as we yield to his commands and to his principles, and when we trust God even in ways that don't make sense, and we trust God in the ways that it makes us wait, or even in ways that cause us pain, when we trust him through all that, we love him not as our fixer, but as our heavenly father. I remember holding down our newborn for shots. Many of you have done that. Some of you have done that recently, where you're holding down your child by your will, knowing that what he will go through will be better for him, but what he is going through, he cannot understand. Cannot understand the pain. Cannot understand the suffering. But to accomplish a will that is above, you know it will work for his good. Gosh, please don't take that to mean that I'm speaking into every single situation here. I'm not trying to counsel on every single scenario. It's an illustration, though, of how God's ways are above us. And God knows even when we don't. And even the Scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. If you don't have this Scripture memorized Take it down, underline it. Y'all, 
when, when I first started visiting the hospitals as a pastor, this is one of those scriptures that I wrote in my Bible and tried to memorize because I thought I would have to quote it. I thought I would need it and need to read it, and I have. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, In his kindness God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, after you have suffered just a little while, he will restore and support and strengthen you, and he will place your feet on a firm foundation. Suffering we, we don't understand. Trusting we do, and it's difficult, but God is always faithful. If there are wonderings relative to God, if there are mysteries for God to keep, then we have to trust who he is rather than what we know he has done or will do. Some of you were there today. I went to a funeral today for a kid that died recently here in Athens. Many of you probably know the family, probably know the, the, the small child. I went in part to, to support people here that, that know them and know that family. I also went because I prayed for Tim Anderson today through that service. And the pastor at Clements and the staff there. I, you know, those are times when you have to trust the Lord because you can't come up with anything on your own. And, and part of what he said is, is I, I don't know why. It is a mystery. It's a mystery that God keeps. And I thought, as I'm thinking about our message for tonight, I thought that if that's a mystery that God keeps and he will reveal or not reveal in his own time, then we can't trust the reasons why we just have to trust him. We just have to trust his character. God blessed Abraham when his will was done. And his will was primary. Again, the thought being that God blesses obedience. He provided when Abraham was obedient. Lately, I've given a devotion on the prophet Elisha. Truth be told, I've not studied Elijah and Elisha too much in my life, not preached on it very much in my life. And God took me to the Scripture, I believe, for a couple of devotions I've shared in many different places, or not, I wouldn't say many, but a number of places. And, and there's an interesting passage in 2 Kings chapter 4, where a poor widow comes to what the Bible says as the man of God. A poor widow comes to Elisha, Elisha being an Old Testament prophet, a spokesman for God, a, a communicator of judgment and the truth of God, and the Bible calls him the man of God. Her husband, who is also a prophet in the team of prophets that was under Elisha, goes back, y'all, I know you think I'm crazy when I do this. Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you please speak to us, keep us from ourselves, and take us the rest of the way in Jesus' name. Amen. When, when she goes to the prophet, she tells him, my, my husband, who was a prophet in your team of prophets, he's died. And my two sons, it's just them and me. And debt collectors are coming to take everything from me if I don't pay those debts off. And so Elisha looks at her and says, what do you have in your house? He knows that he has a helper. It's God's desire to help her because the debt collectors by law are allowed to take her sons for a year and enslave them until the debt is paid off. So Elisha says to the widow, he says, what do you have in your house? And she says, I have a, basically a bottle of olive oil, of anointing oil. That's it. That's got some value, but that's it. That's all she has in her house of value. And this is what he says. He says, go to your friends and your neighbors and get all the bottles and containers together. And then you go back into the house, you shut the door, you take your sons, and you start filling up those containers. This is the part that's so challenging. Do you know what the scripture says that she did when he told her that? 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 5, she did as she was told. She did as she was told. 
What does the Bible say about Abraham when God says that to them? Early next morning, he set out with the wood, getting it ready. Like the faith, the, the faith to believe, the remembering of what God has done, now bringing forward to the faith that is required. Now, Scripture says she did as she was told. And you should go back and read it. It's fascinating. God multiplied the oil. It was behind closed doors because he didn't want her putting it all over social media. It was for her and for the boys. This was a private miracle, which is so cool. And I'm going to bring this up next month. But in the chapter before, just if you hear it next month, just act like you've never heard it. In the chapter before, Elisha was basically sitting around a table with a bunch of generals that were about to go into war on behalf of God's people. The next chapter, God was helping one single family. I love that. Because it reminds me when we pray and we don't think that it matters that God would lead his people against an enemy army in one chapter and he would minister to you in your own home with the door closed in another. Now, the cool thing about this is is that there was enough left over to where she paid off all the debts and then she and her sons had money to live on the rest of the way. But what I want you to see here, because the point again is God blessed Abraham when his will was done, and that being his obedience was carried out. Her blessing in 2 Kings was not separate from her responsibility. He said, go get the containers, fill it up, go and sell it. She did as she was told. She believed and she was responsible within what she had. God gets the glory and she got the good. We may never experience God's purposeful provision or position over our lives if we are clinging to what is our will and not his. And often what keeps us from God's provision is that we are clinging to what we treasure the most. Don't you see, see that with all of us? The, the things that we are challenged by when it comes to believing and being obedient are often the things that we care about the most, the people we care about the most, the job that we care about the most, even the calling we care about the most. As one author said, we all have our own Isaac, the thing you want more than life itself. And the question to ask all of us is, as we get to this point is, are we willing to trust God with our desires, with all of them? Are we willing to trust God even with our needs? And are we, are we holding too tightly to the things that are the cares of this world? Are we holding too tightly to our kids? Are we holding too tightly to our health? Are we holding too tightly to our career, too tightly to our money, too tightly to our search for a feeling or our search for a relationship? And are we willing to lay all those things down as he leads us so that he can provide for us? Think back to when I was a kid and people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? If I would have gotten what I wanted to be when I grew up the first time I answered that question, I would be a first responder and we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> Straight up. Because now some of my friends that are first responders, they're rushing in and I'm going, man, y'all get them, man, y'all get them because God did not make me that way. And I'm, I'm thankful for those folks because they, they are built differently. And I'm thankful for how God ordered my steps all throughout my life thinking that I wanted to do this and accomplish this and be this. But we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to yield for the things that we hold dear so that God can provide and his will would be done? The realm in the thicket was just the beginning also. 
the ram in the thicket was just the start of God's blessing for Abraham. Scripture says that God, God goes on to tell him, your, your descendants are going to multiply beyond number. And your descendants, your family is going to conquer cities of enemies. And through the descendants of, the, of your family, the entire world will be blessed. I want to bring the Messiah to the world through you. Because of your obedience, this will happen in the world. Obedience is blessed. And when we obey God for the things that we hold tightly to God, we'll have an opportunity to prove his faithfulness and provision. Jehovah Jireh. Finally, God's provision was a symbol of the ultimate provision. Abraham and Isaac, as one speaker put it, played out the ultimate play of God and Jesus. Abraham laid down his, uh, the son, laid down the life of his only son. Now that's the part I told you we were going to come back to. He laid down the life of his only son. And maybe if you Bible scholars are out there already thinking he didn't have just one son. And you are correct. John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, in your Bibles, it may say and probably does say for one and only your what? Your begotten son. Your begotten son. Meaning the son of promise. See, this, this again is, is imagery and it's foreshadowing what is to come, how God would provide for us the sacrifice of his only begotten son. Abraham also had Ishmael through a way that God did not clear. So he had another son, but it was not the begotten son. It was not the son of promise. And the promise of descendants begins with the son of promise being Isaac. Jesus, Jesus is the only begotten son of God. He is the promised one. He is the Messiah. He is the sacrifice for our sin. Isaac was spared. Get the love of God now. Isaac was spared. Jesus, the only begotten son of God, God giving of himself, was pierced and crushed for our sin and our rebellion, the Bible says. All the way through the altar, all the way through the bloodshed and on the cross, he was the ultimate provision for us. So when there are times when we are praying about our provision and we are asking God to meet our needs and to even give us the desires of our heart, at least let that be tempered with if you've received the Son of God, you already have the ultimate provision of God. So when we trust God, God will be our Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider if we have already trusted in Jesus. And he will be our provider as we trust and obey for there's no other way, the song says, right? This is what I want you to do is homework. I want you to write it down in your life when God has been faithful. Even when you've not trusted, but especially when you have. When you've trusted God, when has God provided? And maybe even how he provided when it was different than what you thought. I ask you to do that because I did this for myself I didn't send this part of the notes to our guys that put things on the screen, but I did this for myself before we left. And as I sat there, I began to think, all right, how has God been faithful and provided when you have obeyed or maybe even when you didn't? And, and right offhand, two things came to mind, and I began to write it down. I was like, I'll just have to think about what's next. Got up from the table, walk around for a few minutes, come back, and like, I got two more, right? I mean, God is not so distant and separate that he's not involved. Let's be reminded of God's Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth and is with us all the time. 
But all of this makes it very personal. And that is the covenant personal name of God, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Amen? Amen. 7.30 on the dot. This is a blessed evening, isn't it? Some of you are thinking we got out 10 minutes earlier than that last week. That was a real blessing. But anyway, I hope you enjoy fellowship with one another. We look forward to seeing you back here again Sunday. And as we finish out our uh, test drive series, looking at what it it means to be born again and the responsibility that comes with that, okay? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you again and again for your word. God, I thank you for your spirit who makes it all plain for us to understand and take with us. Father, for those in here today that are going through a trial, and Lord, whether that be a trial as a result of just living in the world that we live in or a trial that comes with testing that's on purpose to test their character, Lord, I pray for their faithful endurance. God, I pray that they would see this as an opportunity for their faith to grow. Lord, when they are down, would you put people around them to build them up? God, I thank you, O Lord, for your church. I thank you, Lord, for your word, for your spirit. And God, that you would guide us into all truth and that you would make us the church that we need to be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all have a good evening.